and welcome to the Seeking Veganism podcast. My name is Jess and I am back with an absolutely amazing episode. So excited, guys. I got to interview Dr. Leo Venus. He's a medical doctor and also has a bachelor's degree in bioengineering. I've been following him for quite a while because he has an awesome YouTube channel where he talks about the vegan diet and just so many different topics, you know, the benefits of a vegan diet. And he covers a lot of the things that people should know more of. What I really appreciate about him is that his focus is really on science and I feel like there should be more people doing what he's doing because he really gives you the evidence, he really knows his stuff and he really preaches it the right way because he has the evidence right there every time he talks about something and it's just so refreshing to see someone that has the knowledge, you know, share his amazing movement or spread this amazing movement and I just really um, appreciate him and appreciate his work that he's doing so I was super excited to interview him in this podcast we basically talked about everything first of course we talked about why he went vegan when that happened we also talked about soy and the benefits of soy and actually you know the misconception or the common misconceptions that people have about soy we talk about hormonal imbalance and how a vegan diet can really benefit your hormones. We also talk about the many different vegan diets that we all know, which is the fruitarian, the rotel form, high carb, keto vegan, and basically his opinion about those diets. We also talk about, you know, how to approach other people when they tell you that they don't want to become a vegan or they think that a vegan diet is just not for them. And so we really covered it all. I think it was amazing to really, you know, get through all of these topics because these are the topics that you know I get um, confronted with a lot so I just really enjoyed this one and I'm sure you will learn so much from this episode so I don't want to keep talking for any longer I want you to enjoy this one so yeah here it is cool I'm very excited to talk to you thank you for you know finding time so quickly um, so where, where are you currently you said Norway right yeah, I'm in a city called Bergen. It's the second largest city in Norway, which is still a very small city. <laughs> okay, crazy. Never been there. I don't know how it is, but I see your videos that you take uh, on YouTube with the landscape in the background. Mm-hmm. I'm just amazing. So, so beautiful. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool city. It's basically you have, uh, it's, it's a coastal city. And uh, so it's on the West Coast and it has, uh, it's right by the fjords and you have mountains around all the other kind of, uh, uh, sides so it's it's just you know surrounded by mountains and then you yeah. have the, the fjords and the ocean on the on the last kind of side so it's just wherever you are in the city you can walk five to ten minutes and you know start hiking uh, that's so, so it's, nice. it's pretty cool that's so nice it sounds like a good detox <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's you know it's large enough that you have everything you'd want from a city but it's also small enough that you're just a few minutes away from know from good good contact with Mm. nature and and good hikes so it's it's pretty it's pretty nice i am i've been impressed so far i've only been here for a little under a month but i'm uh, i'm liking it so far love it i actually don't know if i found anything about you and why you went vegan and when that was (laughs) so i'd love to hear your story about that (laughs) sure sure um well first of all that's awesome it's uh, it's great to to see you know other people who are really uh you know really passionate about sharing and helping other people on this on this movement and it's just like you say i think there's a ton of misconceptions so we really need to uh stamp those out as much as we can so but yeah it's uh 
it's an ongoing job for sure. Yes. Um, do you want to hear the like my vegan story right now or? Yes, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I've actually. Uh, how long have you been vegan for, by the way? Um, almost three years now. Okay. Cool, so cool. not that long. Still kind of a newbie. <laughs> well, three years is, is uh, quite quite a quite a while, but yeah, it's it's uh, you're still you still got ways to go. I'm uh, yeah. more than twice as long as you. <laughs> big competition here <laughs> vegans oh, like that no? yeah it's actually uh closing in on eight years almost now so seven wow. and a half around um and uh yeah it's a uh, began with uh just completely random i was studying my bachelor's degree here in norway and uh, uh my ex-girlfriend she was kind of getting interested in plant-based and, and veganism and i had no idea what it was just like most other people i thought it was some weird kind of out there hippie movement about hugging trees and, and loving loving bugs or something <laughs> so i was kind of like oh that's weird and then you know we watched a few more documentaries and and uh, you know one of the ones that stood out to me was forks over knives where it has a very serious tone to it it's very scientific there's a lot of you know doctors and research in china study all that kind of stuff and and since i was doing my bachelor's degree in, in bioengineering we were already introduced to the you know all the a lot of focus on the scientific method and, and you know statistical analyses of, of research and uh, uh, you know uh, critically looking through the the scientific literature I was kind of like well I mean this is this kind of goes against everything I've been taught this kind of goes against everything I thought I knew so you know it can't be true it can't be true so I'll have to double check this is a documentary I'm gonna actually take a look at the research so you know I started reading more and more research around plant-based and and the more I read, the more I was like, well, I guess there really is something to it. This is, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, a hippie movement of, you know, tree hugging or whatever, and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, to, to now, right now, I, I think, you know, the, the ethical aspect of veganism is actually the most important aspect. I mean, that's the definition of veganism, right? So we're trying to reduce the, the unnecessary harm to animals. But for me, at that stage, it was the health benefits of plant-based that were kind of pulling me in and the more I read the more I just had to kind of like a scientist does you have to see that well if better information comes to your life and you you have to you know make your opinion based on the best information available and and that kind of just I had to take that swallow that pill as a scientist and say well I guess I was wrong and my parents were wrong my my brothers and sisters and everyone else all my friends I guess we we're all wrong. The science shows that plant-based is much, much healthier and we don't need meat for protein, milk for egg, for calcium, fish, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, then I, I quite quickly started making the change to whole food plant-based on my daily life, but I would still eat whatever if I was visiting people or if I was at a party or whatever, you know, just if someone served me something that wasn't vegan, I'd have it. Uh, and then maybe almost a year in, I also started getting more into the ethical and the environmental and food security, the human, uh, you know, human rights issues, all, all the other stuff that comes in, you know, I watched Earthlings, I watched all of these documentaries, started reading more and more about it. That's when I decided, you know, cut it out completely and become one of those extreme vegans, which is no to everyone. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, that was, uh, yeah, around, around seven years, seven years ago. And, uh, yeah, I haven't, haven't uh, had any troubles or gone back since, uh, you know, it's, it's funny with some people like my grandpa who every year I see him every year I'm getting you know bigger and heavier and stronger and every year he sees me and he's like oh, you're, you're gonna like get sick and die and get skinny and I'm like oh, don't you have eyes <laughs> grandpa like what are you talking about 
Yeah, that is so, so yeah, funny. It's, it's a funny journey. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like older people are still still very hesitant to that. And I also experienced that, of mm -hmm. course, with my grandparents. My parents are pretty chill. They still, you know, ask me stuff. But I feel like mm -hmm. especially like grandparents and stuff, they're always going to think the same way. But yeah, I love that. Um, so basically, then you decided to become a doctor as well in that field or what happened then? Yeah, so I was already, you know, doing my bachelor's in bioengineering so i was already kind of in the science field and uh, that was also kind of uh you know it wasn't really something that i planned for i know a lot of my colleagues and, and you know classmates throughout medical school they always had uh kind of a, a goal for a long time or a dream of being a doctor you know, a lot of them had family members or at least one or even two parents some people even have both parents and siblings just like the whole family is just doctors imagine what the dinner talk would be for them but um, I never had that, you know, I don't have any doctors in my family, uh, no aunts, uncles, grandparents, nothing. So I never really had any, you know, kind of big goals or dreams around being a doctor for me. It just naturally came to, you know, being as I was always science and, and mathematics, these subjects always came easy to me. I was always interested in health. And so once I finished my bachelor's degree, it just, you know, I, that wasn't enough for me. It wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and just looking at options to kind of uh, expand my opportunities. I, medicine was one of the quite obvious options for someone who is interested in health and good at science. So I thought, oh, well, might as well apply. I applied, got in. Uh, well, actually, I had to take an exam first, and then I got in. And uh, then I just went for it. So it was kind of a more of a just uh, going with the flow type of thing for me. Awesome. And then you started creating all of your amazing YouTube content for people to help them get on their vegan journey as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the YouTube is, has always been more of a vegan kind of a motivation behind it, really. Uh, and uh, that's one of the things that I, I kind of am really happy I have more time to, to dedicate to now after finishing medical school is, is uh, you know, helping people uh, and, and opening people's minds to how little this industry is uh, kind of involved in lifestyle prevention, nutrition, all that kind of stuff, which is unfortunate when we're in a world where 70 to 80% of the disease burden is coming from chronic lifestyle related disease, right? So uh, still a lot of work that has to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as I mentioned to you already is that um, I have my own vegan coaching program and one big focus of that is hormonal health um, so for example for me when i went vegan um, it really changed for me i had a crazy hormonal disbalance you know um, i just got off the pill and for two years i struggled so much i had like hormonal acne and i just felt really really bad and once i went vegan um, everything kind of like changed and i felt so much better um, so would you say that there is kind of a connection between a vegan diet and um and hormonal health or can women basically improve their hormonal health through a vegan diet yeah yeah so this is a i mean it's a great thing to touch on it's something that's again becoming with the western lifestyle it's become more and more of a problem both for for women and men but i think women suffer from it to a little bit of a higher degree and there's a lot of aspects that go into it right so food is definitely one of the big things that that impact hormonal health we have uh, you know substances that are that have 
uh, modulating effects, as they're called. So they're not, you know, the same as the hormones we have, but they can impact our hormonal balance by actually binding to some of the receptors in our body by being chemically very similar to some hormones, right? So we have these modulating substances and, you know, unnatural artificial foods and pollutants uh, in the air uh, and plastics, all this kind of stuff. We also have actual real hormones, hormones coming from foods, especially, you know, this is one of the paradoxical things when people worry about, you know, soy and estrogen uh, is that the, the, isoflavones in estrogen as they're called they were termed you know phytoestrogen because they chemically had a structure that was somewhat similar to estrogen and they were actually able to give do some modulate modulatory effects on on some of the estrogen receptors but they're not actually estrogen they're a different compound and on the and and the actual modulatory effects that they have the the impact they have on your body when they bind to your receptors is usually in the opposite direction in a, in a protective, uh, in a protective direction, as opposed to real, you know, mammalian or, or human estrogen. And, and the ironic thing is that, you know, most of these people who are very worried about the estrogen like effects of, of soy, for example, they're eating, you know, dairy and meat and, and a lot of these animal products that have not estrogen like, or, or, you know, phytoestrogen compounds, but they have real estrogen, right? They have real mammalian estrogen, which is way more similar to our own and actually it throws off the, the hormonal balance to a much, much larger degree. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into it. And uh, there's also, you know, fiber can help to, to remove a lot of things from your diet. So, you know, gut health is more and more, uh, becoming a, a point of focus in, in the health and, and, uh, uh, medical field uh, in terms of getting the right bacteria you know it's a it should be actually it should be a its own organ system only almost the the microbiotic flora the ecosystem that we have in our guts is so important there's so many metabolic uh, reactions that happen so there's a lot of things that go into it but 100 you know diet has a big role to play when it comes to hormonal health and hormonal hormonal balance and a vegan diet can be extremely extremely powerful there was a big study last year that i saw looking at the profile of of uh, the flora the gut flora profiles for different types of diets and the plant-based diets were the ones that had the most beneficial gut microbiota profiles uh, which again are very very beneficial for so many aspects of our health so the only caveat i would say is you know to to focus on a whole food plant-based diet not just a vegan diet right mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also saw that you had a video about PCOS on your YouTube channel. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do have a couple of, you know, girls that have reached out to me or that I coach that also struggle with PCOS. And so, of course, like a lot of doctors tell the girls that they have to just go on birth control and their all of the stuff is going to basically diminish that they're struggling with. But Mm -hmm. that's not the case because you're just like you know basically putting a tape over it and not actually you know working on the root cause um do you have anything to say about that and you know why why is this the case that you basically said that with like prevention and you know curing the disease instead of actually like a lot of doctors don't do that they just prescribe a pill instead of actually helping Mm. you find the root cause so do you have anything to say about that as well 
Well, I mean, it's it's a very complex problem to think, you know, about when it comes to the medical field and why it has so many shortcomings. I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, media driven. A lot of it is industry driven. A lot of it, you know, doctors just don't actually know any better when it comes to lifestyle, nutrition, prevention, because it's not a point of focus in, in medical training. But yeah, it's, it's a, like you said, putting a tape over is a very great analogy. And this is one of the things that frustrated me the most in my experience with the medical industry is that for the vast majority of things, we're looking at quick fixes, we're looking at symptomatic relief, we're looking at uh, disease management, but we're not looking at the cure, we're not looking at the cause, we're not looking at prevention. And uh, it's, it's very frustrating. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've sat across a patient and just the conversation going in the direction with, with, you know, the doctors that I'm with, where we're basically sitting there saying, look, there's nothing we can do for you, except give you these pills that might make you feel a little less bad. Mm-hmm. And that's not a very, you know, that's not a very fulfilling thing to be doing as a doctor, to be honest, you know, it feels like you're, you're giving not even a good tape. It's just like a terrible little, you know, shabby patch that you're putting on and then off you go. So no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues. And when it comes to PCOS, it's, it's one of those things again, that it's quite poorly understood by, by the medical field. Still, we don't know exactly what, you know, the entire causes are the, the understanding we have of it now is that it is definitely, you know, lifestyle associated as well. It's not a, there's not a, a purely genetic component to it. It's a, it's a combination of, of many different factors. And one of the strongest things, obviously, that, that have been shown to help is, is weight loss, right? So, um, you know, a lot of people struggle with weight loss who have PCOS. And, you know, weight loss is one of the big, big uh, impacts that going on a whole foods plant-based diet can, can help with as well. But really, you know, whenever I, I deal with people who have a condition or have, you know, something that is idiopathic, as we call it in medicine, where we, we don't understand the exact cause and there's no really proven cure for it. I always talk about really the, the amazing complexity and the amazing potential of the human body, because the human body is miles and miles ahead of the, the medical field. There's so many things that the human body can do that we're not even close to being able to imitate when it comes to technology and, and medical procedures and, and interventions. So whenever you have something like that, where the medical field cannot be your solution, it cannot do the job that you want, then your best chance, your best shot is really to do the things that have been proven to optimize your body and let your body do that job for you. And so when it comes to things like PCOS, I always say, you know, try to just optimize all of the factors that have been shown through the evidence to, to improve your health. So things like optimizing your diet, things like exercising, things like sleeping well, stress management, relaxation routines, being out in nature, social, mental well-being, you know, really trying to take a holistic approach to your health is going to probably give you uh, the most, most benefits. But 100% weight loss, uh, you know, eating whole foods, plant-based, uh, these sorts of things are, are by themselves also going to have a, a big positive impact. Yeah, I love that you said that because, of course, um, I also did a lot of research about PCOS and there is so many different opinions about it. And some people just say, like, you have to deal with it your whole life. But some people can cure it if you know how to. And what you said, like, lifestyle is, I think, one of the most important ones to just eat good and make sure you're not completely stressed out all of the time because we women we we struggle a lot with that as well especially with our menstrual cycle and stuff you know there's a lot of things going on with our hormones and so it's very important for us to just 
make sure you know we know how to how to live it the right way basically and not overdo it because i feel like so many of us do that um i love that you touched on soy before because this is also one of the things that you know every time i speak to let's say prospects you know girls that want to join my program the first thing i hear a lot of times but i don't want to eat tempeh i don't want to eat tofu i don't want to eat any soy products soy is bad for you and i'm like they're like oh okay again <laughs> so it's not bad for you so um and also there's actually also a lot of research that shows that especially for women so is really good right so mm -hmm. do you have anything more to say about that why people are scared of it um and why there is a huge misconception when it comes to soy and also you know men boobs and all of that stuff which mm -hmm. you hear a lot as yeah. well and what benefits it actually has for for women specifically Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's again, I think it's, uh, this is one of the most uh, disappointing, but very, very important realizations I made in, in my career is that science isn't what drives public opinion, right? It's not the facts, it's not research, it's basically marketing, salesmanship, media, this is what drives public opinion. And when it comes to the, the media today, I mean, it's all low carb keto, uh, you know, avoid soy, man boobs, soy boobs, all this kind of stuff. It's the gym bro, the gym bro research culture. You, you hear something on an article and then, you know, you, somebody says something confidently and, you know, that's, that becomes, uh, you know, if something becomes a, an opinion that enough people hold, it almost becomes a truth in itself, right? Just because enough people believe it, that becomes a... Uh, held as, as to be true. But, you know, the fact is when you're looking at the research, when you're looking at this, the science, the reality of how it is, as you say, there's a lot of research supporting soy. Uh, you know, when you're looking at the biggest, most reliable sources of evidence when it comes to, you know, meta-analyses, systematic reviews, and you're t taking the conglomeration of all of the evidence so far, soy has been shown to be very beneficial, you know, for reducing things like prostate or uh, prostate cancer in men and reducing the risk for breast cancer, endometrial cancer in women. So, Yes, absolutely. There's there's no reason to to like from the evidence. There is no reason to believe that soy products are are this dangerous, uh, you know, terribly strong, you know, hormonal thing to to be putting into our bodies, you know. But it's a again, it's a fear based thing. It's an emotional thing. Most human beings are are emotional rather than rational. I would say actually probably if not almost every single one of us, uh, unless you have, you know, some diagnosis like alexithymia or, or, or something where you just don't have that same uh, emotional drive as most human beings have. But for the most part, human beings are, are emotional. And so when you look at, again, what drives the public opinion are is, is the people who know how to use, so, you know, our, our human psychology and the emotional, uh, the emotional centers to to drive our opinions, such as marketing. So this is what I think is really important going forward now is that we really we really learn how to join the forces of marketing and science. Because right now, as things are, the scientists are screaming in the back and nobody can hear them because the the industries who, who know human psychology, the marketing, that's being plastered all over the place and that's where science is not put under focus. So there's a ton of misconceptions that are just being spread around. And just because you have some scientists who are talking facts, they might be sharing that to, you know, 10 people a day while the, the marketing world is getting, you know, a thousand people a day. So it's very, very difficult to, to win that battle unless we're able to use uh, the power of, of psychology and, and marketing to, to our own benefit as well. 
So what can I say to someone that is, you know, that I talk to a lady or a guy and they're like, okay, I don't want to eat soy. What can I tell them? Well, I mean, I would always start with, with understanding and, and, you know, acknowledging the, you know, their worries and fears and saying that, you know, this is totally, is totally understandable and reasonable that you think this way, because this is the public perception. This is the common perception. Uh, you know, it just so happens that with a lot of things that are believed uh, by the mainstream just simply aren't true when you look at the science and the facts. So it really comes down to what do you believe in? Do you believe in, you know, common knowledge on the streets or what, you know, most people think, or do you believe in science? I think most people today uh, would agree that science is a much more reliable source of information uh, than, you know, whatever you hear at, at work or or in your, with your friend group or, or on a, a blog or a fitness magazine or whatever, right? So... Really, I think one of the most important things is to to then teach people what, how to form their opinions in the most reliable way possible. And this is something I always talk about is the hierarchy of evidence, right? This is the principle that is used within the medical field in order to have some sort of confidence in what we're saying to our patients, because you can't just sit there in front of a patient and say, I have a gut feeling that, you know, if you take this amount of oil and uh, you walk this amount of steps and then you do this prayer like i have a feeling you're gonna you know you're gonna transform like you, you have to have evidence behind your your advice right so the hierarchy of evidence basically stratifies stratifies different types of evidence and tells you okay how you know how reliable is this form of evidence how reliable is that form of evidence so depending on what evidence you have to back up your claims you then calibrate how much confidence you have in those opinions. So if something you know, that you hold an opinion of is based on expert opinion, well, expert opinion on the hierarchy of evidence is one of the lowest forms of, of evidence when it comes to reliability. So, and this is even real experts, right? People who have an education, have qualifications, not fitness YouTuber or, or a blog, right? That's not even a, a real expert. So, but even if it's a real expert, it's one of the least reliable source of information. So again, should we really think and believe very strongly in those things? Probably not. And then higher up, you have things like, you know, prospective cohort studies, even higher up, you have randomized control trials, then you have a meta-analyses where and systematic reviews where you're putting together a huge amount of, of evidence from that are looking at similar outcomes, right? Similar things, and they're putting in all that evidence together to increase the power or the ability of those studies to actually find real life relationships between uh, you know the thing you're studying and the outcomes you're looking for and then at the very top you then have the the you know biggest organizations in the world who are have a, that's their job right they have professionals who are scouring through the literature who are taking all the evidence and putting it together in order to give us the most evidence-based balance uh, balanced advice possible and this is why it's so important to have these organizations and that's not to say that they can't be wrong but as things are they're one of the best sources for the common person who a either doesn't have the the qualifications or the knowledge to on on how to critically review the scientific literature or b doesn't have the time right because again you can say oh i, I read this one study that says this or one study that says that one study is nothing right one study is a tiny tiny piece to a, a very very large puzzle so when you're looking at, for example, the International Agency for Research on Cancer with the WHO, when they came out with a report on the carcinogenicity of both processed and red meats, they went over close to a thousand studies. 
right? This is a huge, huge undertaking, huge amount of work and done by people who are professionals in the area and, and who, who do this for a living. And then, you know, when you, when you're going to compare that with someone who found one or, or even 10 studies, you know, supporting their opinion on, on, on a blog or, or something, uh, it just, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hold it. They're not equal on the balancing scale. So really, I think if there's one thing I would want to teach everyone around the world is how to really apply the hierarchy of evidence to all areas of life, not just medicine, but everything. If you have an opinion, be aware of what kind of evidence is behind your opinion, and then be aware of how much confidence you then should apply to that opinion based on on that evidence. And that, I think, is probably the most reasonable approach in order to minimize the chances of you being completely wrong in your opinions, right? It can't be, you can never guarantee anything, but it's it's probably where you're going to be at the at the least risk of believing in something that's completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when it comes to soy and just a lot of other things, there's always a lot of like controversy around it, and there's a lot of people that just write random blogs. And, you know, then you Google it, is soy bad for me? And then the first, you know, five pages that you see is going to say, yes, soy is bad for you. And so you believe whatever that random person wrote on a blog. So yeah. definitely I I would love for people to look more into science, like, you know, what you just said and how important it is to actually really take time to to also do that because most people don't take their time. They just, you know, Google it. Mm-hmm. They believe the first thing that they read and that's it. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. like... It's also kind of same when it comes to um, acne. Um, I believe that, or what I've seen is that people are still so misinformed about, you know, how acne develops and it's really connected to the way you eat as well. Because of course, everything that we intake does have an effect somehow on our body. So if you have acne, it's not normal. And some people still normalize it. And, you know, of course, if you're young and your hormones change, that's completely normal, maybe. But um, later on, if you're 25, you're 30 and you still struggle with acne, then your body's telling you, hey, something's really off. You have to really look at what are you eating? Um, So for example, for me, it was um, that when I, as I, and as I told you before, before I went vegan, um, for two years, I struggled with very bad hormonal acne. It was all over my face, my neck, my back, you know, and it was after I stopped taking birth control, my body was like completely messed up. I had no idea what was going on. I tried it all from pills, you know, to doctors, to creams, nothing helped. And then I went vegan and literally in two months, everything was gone. I remember my mom, she looked at me And she was like, what did you do? And I was like, I literally went vegan. And also I have to say during that time, I didn't even eat like fully whole food plant-based because I was so amazed by the amazing vegan burgers and donuts. And I was living in Barcelona at that time. So they do have a lot of like vegan treats. And I was just like, you know, eating it all. And still my skin was so clear and I couldn't believe it. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about, you know, acne, how it is developed and the connection between, you know, the food that you eat, also the vegan diet that you eat and how it can actually affect your health and your your skin overall. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, uh, that's an amazing story. How did your mom react when you said that it was the vegan diet, by the way? Um... She was, my mom is pretty young, so she was kind of like, okay, that's interesting. And so when she came to visit me in Barcelona, she was vegan with me for that full week. 
Um, and now she's more plant-based as well. So the funny story is that uh, she opened a restaurant last year in the south of Germany because she's a cook. And now she has a separate, like she also offers me, uh, meat and stuff, but she has a separate complete vegan menu, which is absolutely awesome. amazing. And she's the best cook ever. So if you're ever in the south of Germany, you have to go visit. But oh, yeah, my no, mom. That's a good reason to go. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Her food is oh, awesome. awesome. <laughs> So when it comes to acting, yeah, that's, uh, you know, you touched on a lot of good things there. The first thing I would maybe like to touch on is, you know, you said something interesting. You said normal, right? It's, people are saying that it's normal. And there's a few things to, to keep in mind there because normal does not mean good, you know, in a society where, for example, it's normal to have heart disease, right? The majority of people nowadays in the world actually have heart disease. You might not die of heart disease, about a third of people die of heart disease, but over half of people have heart disease, you can look at their, your, their arteries, and you can see the atherosclerotic plaques, the calcification. So, you know, in a world where literally, it is normal to have a disease, then maybe it's not something to aim for to be normal, right? And so the same thing with acne, just because it is normal does not mean that's how things, you know, should be. And you can look at blue zone populations in the past where, you know, people were living a much more natural lifestyle, they, you know, they were eating mostly plant-based even though there were some animal products and uh, they were spending a lot of time outdoors they were exercising they were social they, you know they're basically taking this holistic approach that we're talking about really incorporating a lot of these things you know a lot of the stressors of the western life of you know keeping schedules and and, and uh you know all of these kind of work-related stresses uh, they weren't present and and, and acne was something that didn't even exist like nobody, nobody knew what it was Right, so you, you can really just compare and contrast the, from being normal and almost everybody having acne to populations not that long ago where acne didn't even exist. It was like, what what is acne? Right, it's it's completely completely missing. So I think that's something really really important to keep in mind. Normal is not always something to strive for. Uh, when it comes to acne, then it's again it's a uh, unfortunately not fully understood it's a multifactorial condition that has a lot of different things going from you know from diet to to the hormones to the igf1 and the mammalian target of rapamycin the mTOR pathway to the flora on your skin so this is another thing a lot of people think about the gut flora but we actually have bacterial you know flora all over you know our, our hands our arms our, our chest our legs everything our faces there's bacteria everywhere and I think this is one of the things that once you get into medicine and you learn how much bacteria there are everywhere, you kind of start, you kind of stop having a, this kind of irrational fear for, for microbes and this germophobic nature that a lot of people in society have, because like germs are actually everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's no way for you to, you are actually more germs than you are human cells. So, uh, you know, it's uh, something to keep in mind as well. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, a difficult one to there's no you know one solution to fit all but again i think uh, getting as many of those factors as possible whether it be uh, uh, you know a diet and lifestyle that supports a healthier bacterial flora that can actually you know uh, help even the, the flora on your skin whether it be uh, you know avoiding inflammation and, and uh, you know igf1 with things like dairy that have been shown to to really increase the risk of, of acne um, you know, there's, there's quite a few different things, you know, there's some associations with the, uh, you know, propionobacterium. So that's why a lot of doctors used to give antibiotics. So again, 
you know, the, the flora aspect might be important there. And a lot of times we have good bacteria that outcompete the bad bacteria, right? So having a, you know, the bacteria are not our, our enemies. A lot of times they're our friends. They're actually taking care of us. So I think, again, taking care of all of these aspects as much as possible, eating, you know, whole food, plant-based, lots of fiber, lots of phytonutrients, lots of uh, those healthy vitamins and minerals that are found in, in whole plant foods, uh, you know, exercising, taking care of, of uh, stress management, uh, all of these things are, are going to be helpful. Uh, but by far, I think one of the things that, that will have the biggest impact on most people is really cutting out dairy. But again, when it comes to something as complex as this, there are some people who don't eat dairy that still have acne. So, you know, it's, it's not something that we have a, a one cure for all. But again, I would recommend just optimizing the body and letting the body do its magic because the body can do a lot more than doctors. Doctors are, doctors are toddlers when it comes to uh, their, uh, you know, their potential for, for change when it comes to comparing that to the potential in the human body. So if you give, if you give the body everything it needs, uh, it can usually do a lot more than any doctor or uh, especially any chiropractor or, or YouTuber. It's actually, <laughs> sorry, I want to just tell this one story as well because it's so funny. When it comes to the reliability we talked about earlier and the misconceptions of how confused people are, I never forget, you know, there was one time I was talking with my brother and and we were talking about, you know, influence and reliability. And I was saying, you know, well, one of the good things about the medical degree is it's still one of the most respected and trusted fields in the world, right? Medical doctors are still trusted by the vast majority of people. And, but then he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, yeah, you'll get a lot of credibility as a medical doctor, but there's one thing that gives you a lot more credibility and that's having more followers. <laughs> So, uh, so true. it's, uh, it just kind of like, that is yeah. actually a point. And when you look at it, it's like the more subscribers and followers someone has, the more apparently correct they are and whatever they say. So it's a, it's kind of a, a dangerous trend, but anyways, that was a little bit of a long rat there, but I think that's, again, the holistic approach is going to be uh, the most beneficial for, for acne as well. Yeah, no, I, I love what you said. It's crazy. Um, how people look at it and you just trust people that have i don't know 100k followers over someone that has 5k but probably has way more knowledge than that person that has 100k and it's just yeah it's sad but it's the mm -hmm. truth and that's the world we live in today um but i yes. just wanted to quickly ask you also about the dairy aspect that you said um because i think that can be very interesting why actually dairy is a factor of you know acne or why it causes acne Mm -hmm. Well, again, there's a few a few different things. You know, one of the one of the reasons that have been shown is that it stimulates the the mTOR pathway, right? So it's it's kind of uh, it, like a lot of these other pathways that are naturally there, they're present, but there are some foods and substances that can stimulate it above what is what is normal, and, and dairy does seem to increase the. The, the stimulation of this of this pathway and it is then associated with with acne for sure uh, but you know there might be other reasons to it as well you know you have the fact that there are you know there are actual mammalian hormones again uh, you know there there is uh, proteins that are exogenous to the human body it's dairy is one of the main causes of, of you know allergies and or one of the big strongest associations to allergies in, in the western world uh, a lot of times the human body can start, you know, 
reacting to some of these proteins that are that are foreign to 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 our bodies, right? Uh, it's one of the strongest associations with things like type one diabetes. So there's there's probably a few aspects, and then you know the the inflama- the inflammation. Whenever you have things that are that you know the immune system of the human body is designed basically to do two things: it's designed to tolerate your own cells, and it's designed to recognize what's not from you, right? So what isn't you, you want to recognize, you want to label it, you want to uh, either kill it or uh, present it to other aspects of the immune system that can kind of uh, investigate it and, and have some sort of a, a memory a database where you know you're able to recognize different things for what they are. Um, but when it comes to so so this is the the issue when it comes to things like allergies is a lot of times when we're eating things that have these proteins that are completely foreign, especially again if more and more research is coming out if your gut flora isn't in the right place. Uh, if your your bacterial ecosystem isn't right and you have the leaky gut, you get these proteins coming into the bloodstream where they're not supposed to be, and then your your immune system naturally is like, whoa, 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 what is this? This isn't this is new. This is foreign. And then you know you get uh, you, you, the immune system starts working, which is you know getting rid of the foreign threats, which is something that it's naturally supposed to do. However, this natural defense that is there to help us can sometimes, you know, increase levels of inflammation, etc. So if you're constantly putting in things that are causing your your body to have to be on this alert and have to, you know, be on the attack mode, the the unfortunate byproduct of that is that the inflammation, uh, you know, kind of like the, the damage that is done by these unnecessary battles all the time can have some some negative effects on on our body. So again, it's there isn't just kind of like one thing that that has been shown in dairy that 100% causes acne. Uh, of course, if, if, if it was that simple, you know, people would have known, known about it for a very, very long time ago, since it's, you know, it's definitely been uh, around for a while. And, and there's been a lot of people trying to figure it out. But uh, it's again, quite a complex, multifactorial, crazy, uh, kind of combination of of different factors and and this is this is the thing about the human body you know we we only know a little fraction of it and you know if you look at one of the things if you want to see how complicated it is you can look at the the map the what that what we have been able to map out of human metabolism you can look at all the reactions and it's like this crazy you know and it looks like some eccentric you know scientist kind of uh, you know horror movie scene where some like person was just yeah. writing crazy amounts of stuff and just like completely you know like some insane person and that's just a small portion of, of what's actually there so mm-hmm. so it's, it's an insanely complicated process an insanely complicated machine and we're unfortunately quite far from understanding all of the intricacies within it but again when it comes to all of these things you have luckily enough it's kind of like even going back to traditional medicine right you have native indians and people you know, thousands of years ago were able to find a lot of things just through outcomes so you know you can without understanding the inner workings of the human body you can still look at you know consequences and causes right you can look at outcomes of different things so when you're looking at really complicated things like this looking at health outcomes is very very important mm-hmm. and this is where you see a lot of people getting stuck in nutrition they're trying to understand all the mechanisms all the tiny little intricacies which is impossible we actually don't know everything so looking at the mechanism can be very confusing and very unnecessary because again you don't need to know the inner workings you don't need to understand all the intricate details to understand that a causes b so 
I think the very important thing to look at is the actual health outcomes. And there is no doubt that dairy uh, is associated very, very strongly with acne as well as with a lot of other inflammatory and allergic and, and not great uh, you know, conditions to, to be dealing with. So again, I think sure you'll find studies you know, funded by the dairy industry saying that, yeah, people who drank dairy had you know, better calcium intake or something than whatever you know but if you're looking at the again the the complete picture you want to take the whole picture approach you want to have big picture thinking when you're looking at the entirety of the evidence there's very little doubt that you know dairy is not a health food it's not a beneficial thing for human beings and again this kind of thing that dairy is so important i would just say well look at human history we've been around for around two hundred thousand years dairy has only been around for between three and seven thousand years so what were we doing for you know 90 percent of our our time here uh where we all just walking around just breaking bones we're all just osteoporotic and just uh, you know it's obviously not you know that's something that we have only been doing for a small fraction of the time we're here cannot be a, a necessary or, or important part mm-hmm. of of our lifestyle so mm-hmm. and not to mention you know 70 percent of the world is even can't even tolerate dairy so uh, it's obviously not a very, very natural thing for human beings. But again, I'm sorry, Jessica, I have a tendency of, of uh, ranting and, and, and talking for a very, very long time. But I hope I answered your question there. Yes, very extensively. No, that's great. I mean, I'd rather have you talk than me having to constantly ask. So I love that. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. You also basically talk a lot about it's not only, you know, the vegan diet that is beneficial, but also it should be mainly whole food plant-based of course so you know reduce mm-hmm. like sugar intake and processed foods and all of that stuff um there is still a lot of times where i talk to people or talk to girls in general and they tell me they're so confused on how they should be eating uh should they do the raw till four diet should they do the fruitarian diet should they do go high carb and only eat potatoes because i had this girl also that mm-hmm. i talked to and she she got told by someone else she should only eat potatoes all day long. Um, you know, should I do keto vegan? What is your opinion on all of those crazy, you know, plant-based diets that people talk about that are supposedly like the best diets out there? And it just confuses people because it did also confuse me. When I first went vegan, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so yeah, what's your opinion on that? Well, my opinion is exactly that it's just opinion so again it's going back to opinion you know even if it was an expert opinion a lot of times it's not an expert opinion we're just talking about influencers and bloggers and instagrammers and youtubers or whatever so we're talking about really you know nothing when it comes to evidence it's it's very it's not something people should be taking seriously again i think it's stemming from a place of people not understanding the, the way evidence works and the way science works and the way knowledge works. And I think, again, if people had a better understanding of the scientific method, the, the hierarchy of evidence, we could stratify these beliefs and be, well, there is actually no scientific evidence for the fact that, you know, you have to eat only potatoes or you have to be raw until 4 p.m. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's, there's zero evidence for it. It's kind of like the blood, you know, the, the blood type diet. So many people have written books like, yeah, you can write as many books as you want. You can talk about it as much as you want. You can make blogs and interviews and magazines. But where's the science? Where's the research? There is no research suggesting that someone who has blood type O can eat as much meat as they want. And then someone who has blood type A has to eat nothing but oranges or, or whatever it is. You know, So it's very important. Again, it's sticking to the facts, sticking to the science. 
I always say, you know, people, everyone is entitled to their opinions. You can, everybody can have their own opinions, but not, not everyone can have their own facts. So facts are not, you know, they're not changing based on what people think. Facts are, are there based on the reality of how the world works. And the best way to get to that reality is to look at the evidence, to look at the science, and uh, not to just to, you know, listen to, listen to whatever opinions uh, people have. And the interesting thing about, especially the raw thing, you know, just when I was talking there about the dairy and how we've you know, been around for 200,000 years as homo sapiens, right? Our species has been around for around 200,000 years and we only started using animals for, for dairy or milk production for around, you know, three to maximum 7,000 years. And that's where two populations, one in the Middle East, one in Northern Europe had this, this mutation for lactase persistence where the enzyme lactase can continue past infancy because like all other mammals, usually after infancy, you stop breastfeeding. And, and so you don't have a use for that enzyme anymore. And so these two populations got a little advantage of, okay, we can actually use dairy and survive on it in terms of, okay, well, if it's, you know, dairy or starve, then of course that's going to give you a survival benefit. Uh, but it, when it comes to cooking as well, you know, this is when you look at the history of cooking, Cooking has been around. It's you know it's one of the things that have been theorized by a lot of anthropologists, even much more so than this kind of caveman theory that a lot of people like throwing around. That, oh yeah, we ate meat and therefore we've got big brains. That's actually not the consensus within the majority of experts in anthropology and in the evolution of human beings. Right? This is just the one that's been popularized in, in the media, and that's why people think about oh yeah, caveman meat brain yeah. Well, you know, by that logic, all the all the carnivores in the world should be extremely intelligent because there's many animals who've been eating meat for a much much longer time than us, and they're not uh, you know they're not uh, the brainiest you know it would be the the world of uh, it's called the planet of the apes. We should be living in the planet of the cats. You know, we should be uh, serving serving the cats. But uh, anyways, when it comes to cooking, we have evidence that we started cooking food actually a long time before we even were human beings. So around two to 2.5 million years ago, our you know evolutionary ancestors started actually cooking food. And this is what is theorized to have led to the biggest impact in our evolution. It's not that we started eating meat or anything like that. It's that we started cooking foods that which allowed us to extract a lot more nutrition and a lot more calories out of these foods than before when we were eating them raw. So this idea that you know cooked foods are somehow bad for us or that cooked foods are unnatural it doesn't really again i don't think it really lives up to the evidence and lives up to the to to the history of of our evolution even when we've been doing it for even longer than we've been human beings and so and it's actually theorized to be the the very reason why we actually took that evolutionary step uh in contrast to a lot of the other apes that's continued eating, you know, more more raw throughout the ages. So I think, you know, of course, there's a lot of really healthy raw foods. And of course, there are a lot of really healthy uh, cooked foods. The important thing is to stick to the evidence. And there's no evidence that eating nothing but raw is better than eating a combination. Again, I wouldn't say that it's better to eat only cooked foods either. I think a combination of them is probably the best. Uh, and yeah, it's just, again, looking at, looking at the evidence, I think a, a good tool for people, if they just want to be healthy is to really just incorporate the food groups, right. That have been shown to have 
health benefits. So one of the ones I like to recommend to people is the Daily Dozen by uh, Dr. Michael Greger. I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's a very, very easy to use app. It's for free, both Android and iPhone. You can download it and it gives you a checklist. Okay, so, you know, so, so many servings of legumes, so, so many servings of vegetable, leafy greens, berries, you know, uh, water, exercise even is, is factored in there. So it really allows you to try to just incorporate the things that are health promoting rather than just thinking of all of these theories and restrictions and the perfect optimal, like this doesn't exist. This is all wish-wash fantasy nonsense. There is no one perfect optimal human diet, you know, that that's gonna, you know, just magically work for absolutely everyone. So I think again, it's being, being aware of, of the, the nature of, of knowledge and evidence and science and not just not being too unrealistic and it's it's difficult again because human beings are emotional we want to find the magical cure but it just it does not exist and we have to keep that in mind and stay uh, you know stay realistic so, you know, our expectations have to match reality educate ourselves and then do the things that have been shown to to increase our health so uh, that's that would be you know my approach to to this whole idea mm -hmm. Yeah, while you talk, I feel like there are so many more questions that I want to ask you, but <laughs> I feel like then we would be talking for many hours, so that's not going to happen. Um, so last yeah, question. Yeah, we can always so you, do another one. Yes, I would love to. <laughs> so last question for today. Um, what would you say to a person, because I also get you know quite a lot of messages about that as well. What would you say to your person that says that a vegan diet is just not for them or it would never work for them? Well, again, I think it's everybody has their own perspectives. Everybody has their own opinions. And when it comes to, you know, changing people's behavior, it doesn't, again, it's not based on facts. It's not based on science. You can't tell them actually, yes, it is. And then, you know, show them the truth and then it'll change. This is something I learned also very early on in my, in my, you know, journey in medical school as well is that even the most scientific, the most logical, intelligent, whatever among society that you expect are going to be very factual, are still human beings, you know, human beings are going to be emotional. So when you're looking at, you know, helping people and persuading people and changing people's opinions and, and helping them change their actual behavior, which is exactly what's going to lead to better health outcomes is, is what they're doing, right? Not that what they know or what they think, but it's what they're doing. And so the most important factor here is really learning again, human psychology and communication. So if you really want to persuade someone, it's not about showing them what's wrong or telling them, you know, what's right. It's actually really about learning what steps you have to take, how to get around the, you know, the egoic defenses, how to get around, uh, you know, uh, offending people's, people's egos and, and how to motivate and inspire rather than, uh, you know, uh, shame and, and, and judge and all of these things. So what I, I would always start is you know, one of the most important things is to, is to find understanding with the person you're talking to. So if, if somebody feels understood and feels heard, they're a lot more likely to number one, you know, be open to, to criticisms and, or, or not even criticisms, but open to other points of view and also even just listening and, 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 uh, you know, kind of giving you that courtesy as well. So I would always, always start with trying to find some, some point of understanding, some point where you can connect to someone and make sure that you, you set the, the frame that, you know, you're having a conversation, you're having a discussion 
and that you're not having an argument because whenever people get into that argumentative mode, nobody wins, right? This is a, one of my favorite books on communication, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a very, very old book, but good thing is human psychology and communication has been pretty similar for thousands and thousands of years. So uh, this book was, you know, like, uh, I think over a hundred years old now. And, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie, the author, he's, you know, he's like been interviewing people like Henry Ford and, you know, these people from like ages back. So it's kind of cool. Uh, but one of the things you know, that stuck with me from, from one of this book is the best way to win an argument is to, to avoid it. You know, you, you can't win an argument. Once you're in an argument, it's done. It's lost. Because even if you have the factual and the, you know, the, the evidence and the logical superiority in the argument, then you quote unquote win the argument. You're still not going to get your goal, which is to change the person's behavior. That person is going to get, you know, either offended or emotionally hurt, or just even more motivated to prove you wrong, or to you know despise you personally or whatever you stand for. And you know, this is the way that I see a lot of people getting turned off from from veganism and plant-based diets. Is that you know they they tend to get into arguments, and of course, vegans tend to have the evidence on their side. So then. You know, when, when people feel they lose the argument, they just get really butthurt and really angry. And then they're like, they hate veganism, they hate everything about it. And they just close off, right? The, the emotional defense mechanisms, the walls come up. And then, you know, you have to not only convince them, but you have to do a lot of damage control. So you're just increasing the amount of work that you have to do in order to have any positive, uh, you know, impact on those people. So I think... I would start by finding points of understanding and then asking questions. So instead of giving people orders or giving people statements, is ask questions, you know, ask questions, nudge the conversation in the direction that you want and allow people to start making their own realization. So you don't, you don't have to make their realizations for them. Just, you know, ask questions, get them thinking. And as people make their own realizations, you can support those. And I think, you know, it's, that's probably the, the most effective way and that's why i think social psychology and communication is something that is so so beneficial and, and you know if anyone wants to really take their activism and their influence to the next stage when it comes to promoting the vegan lifestyle promoting any any sort of lifestyle any anything really in their life is to really take some time to learn and practice and and get better at both you know understanding human psychology and uh, mastering a little bit more of the communication skills that come along with it because again it's not about what's right it's not about the you know the facts it's about what people believe and what people how people feel you know most people make decisions not based on logic it's based on how we feel you know i feel like doing this not like oh the logical thing for me to do at this stage in my life and you know uh, uh june 20 whatever <laughs> 2020 at the time you know, this time of day, I will do this is the logical. No, people just do whatever they feel like. It's a, an emotional process. We have a lot of subconscious uh, patterns of thinking and knowing those, being aware of those and learning how to work around those and influence those is going to be by far a much more efficient strategy and a much more realistic strategy than just sitting there and being like, I will say the truth and, you know, the world has to align with the truth because, again, it's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that because I remember also before I went vegan, I met a couple of vegans and I also thought these people are hippies. I remember seeing like those activists, you know, on the streets and showing like the images and mm -hmm. it just turned me off so much. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to hear it. I was like, okay, these people are crazy. 
And so mm-hmm. I also realized like what works for me is seeing someone else be healthy and feel awesome and just be an inspiration for others. And mm-hmm. so also I set myself this goal, like my type of vegan activism is just show the world, you know, how, how awesome I feel and how, you know, how it has changed me basically. And if someone wants to reach out, you know, feel free to do that. And it has worked so far because I rather have them set a good example instead of showing them, you know, for some people it might work, you know, pictures of like, you know, animal agriculture, whatever it is. But I know that in my case specifically it didn't work and everyone else that I know, like including my parents or, you know, family members, they don't want to see that stuff. It doesn't have mm-hmm. any effect on them. So I, yeah, uh-huh. I agree with you on that. Well, yeah, and I think uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? You just look at the real life examples, the real life results, and uh, even things like documentaries, you can look at all the documentaries that have been made. There's so many, you know, talking about how terrible it is what we're doing or the, you know, the, the, science behind it, all this kind of stuff, the environment, there's so many things that have been already published. But then look at the game changers that just came out last year is by far, there's nothing that even comes close by far the most successful kind of media production that has ever come out related to the vegan movement ever. And it's by far the one that has had the most people become interested in it as, as compared to anything else that has come out before. And why is that? The reason is because they are applying what has been shown to work, they are adjusting themselves and aligning themselves with how human behavior and human psychology works. Instead of going, shame on you, shame on you, this is terrible, you should not be like this, bad, bad, bad. They're going, oh, look at this, we got this thing that's sexy and it can really, you know, help you and, and get you to, you know, be better looking and, and healthier and happier. And like, you know, it makes it attractive to people instead of being this thing that you'd like, to, you just throw on people based on the shoulds, right? So it's actually a, a concept that's that's put in in, in social psychology. It's called uh, cognitive distortions. It's subconscious patterns of thinking where people don't align themselves with reality. And, and one of those things is the is the the should fallacy. You know how how the world should be. There's the fairness fallacy that you know you think the world should be everything should be fair and these kinds of things. So again, it's I think the, the if there's one philosophy I would say to everyone is just to really try to reflect and find out is my expectations are my belief systems actually aligned with reality because if it's not then you can't change reality to your to your expectations but you can change your your beliefs and expectations to align with reality and that's always going to be more successful than you know wishing that reality was different than it is yeah i agree thank you so much for sharing i feel like this has been a, an awesome podcast. A lot of things covered that I'm very sure the listeners are going to enjoy. And also, you know, the girls that I coach. And so that was it awesome. from my well, side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for so much for having me. It's yes. been a great talk. I really enjoyed myself. Same here. Thank you so much. It's going to be awesome. Um, other than that, I hope you have an awesome time in Norway. Enjoy the nature. <laughs> I'm very, very uh, jealous about that. Um, yeah. And until next time. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, guys. That's it. I really enjoyed it. I could have asked him so many more questions, but I feel like we would have just talked forever because during, you know, all of the answers that he was giving me, I just thought about so many other questions that I have not written down. And I was like, okay, I need to ask him this and I need to ask him this. But of course, we don't want to go for too long. But anyways, I really hope you enjoyed this one. We had some really deep talks about, you know, PCOS, acne, soy, his opinions about the many different vegan diets that are out there. 
and just hormonal health in general and also about a little bit about himself you know where he currently is and why he went vegan i think it's just amazing to see someone that is you know so passionate about the vegan diet and is a doctor himself preaching about it and just moving so many people with it and just yeah sharing his knowledge with the world so yeah I really hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, please leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And also feel free to reach out to me at any time. And until next time, bye-bye.